As I said, we're in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. If you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to be turning there. I have a, a question for you to think about. How many times have you found yourself doing this? You're in a predicament with someone and you stress and you stress and you stress and then lo and behold, you finally catch up with them, talk to them face to face and you find that all your stress was unfounded. Um, All the heat dissipates rather quickly. All the beef that you thought was there either wasn't there or, or if it was there, it was easily dealt with. I recently had an experience with a guy we'll name Larry, and I had begun to hear a lot of a lot of things about Larry and those close to him. A lot of things which which gave me reason to believe that when Larry and I meet and have a discussion out, it's not going to be good at all. And I'm a I'm a thinker. I know that probably surprises you, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when someone says to me, "I need to have a talk with you, and let's plan for it." And, uh, you know, some future date so then I can mull it over and stress it over and wonder about what needs to be talked about and if it's good or bad or if I'll come out alive, you know, really re- realistic worries. And um, push came to shove with this Larry and it wasn't so bad. It was a, a good talk. I've, I've coined a phrase to describe this season, a word I should say, to describe this season I'm in, sabbatical-itis. And it's, it's taking this, this other coined word, senioritis, often what seniors in school feel as they're near graduation. I don't know if that's how seniors feel before they go home to God too, but uh, near graduation. And I moved to the idea of me, a pastor, waiting for sabbatical. And, and I liken it to a little bit of burnout, a little bit of tiredness, a little bit of indifference. And so you can imagine how that makes me feel in relation to God and what he's called me to do. Right? You're welcome, God, you know, right? Bet you're happy with my heart right now. And if you're in your own season of sabbaticalitis today in our passage, I want to move from that stressing to facing that, that idea of Larry and I are going to have words. And then when we realize that Larry and I do have words, all that stress was unnecessary. I like to dispel a myth. God will always accept those who really want to be with Him. He will always accept those who really want to be with Him. I grew up in a church with holiness roots, and I won't say that this was at all the teaching or thinking of any pastors I had, but I know that this sort of teaching was present in that tradition. But there was perhaps, and still there is this thought that exists out there in Christianity that God is a lousier parent than a sinful fallen parent is. And here's what I mean by that. Could you ever... Consider disowning or not accepting your own child. Then don't put that on God, right? There is no sin that will keep you out of God's family. He is your dad. He's a good dad. Now, I'm not saying so go and sin all you want. Don't hear that. 
And I'm not saying to consider all your sin lightly. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when you and God have a a talk to have, disownment or punishment to the point of exclusion, that's never really on the table. If you don't want it to be. That is, if you're not humbly yielding to Him. I invite you to stand with me. We're just going to look at four verses today. And and I'm going to consider five points in those four verses. Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, this is a passage, at least some of it we've heard quite often, likely. And if that's the case, I pray that we wouldn't let the familiarity of it rob us of its great meaning. I pray instead that you would open up these words to our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, that you would unpack these words and give, give it to us as bread for the soul. I pray that we would have open hearts and ears and minds to receive your word. I pray against hard hearts that we would have soft hearts. Father, would you help us to respond accordingly? All these things from the words I've studied to the words I say to the way we respond, it's in your hands. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, again for dying for our sins and rising again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I was saying, those of us who struggle with sabbaticalitis, burnout, or indifference, perhaps this distance from God. It's easy to feel distant when it feels like the world is maybe not in a good place. So we need to go from that stressing to facing. There's an interesting passage here in Matthew 11. Jesus gives one of those episodes that people really love, right? It's, it's an episode of woes to unrepentant cities. <laughs> now, we fallen judgmental human beings like to hear that woe almost like it's curses or punishment. But we conveniently skip over the unrepentant part. We just get upset at God just giving out woes, period. In Matthew 21, or excuse me, Matthew 11, 21 and 22, gives this contrast saying, If Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you're seeing, they would have repented, but you're not. And so the point is, is Jesus is not spewing out judgments to people who cannot help themselves. They can. It's called repentance. Accepting Jesus. Or, can they? There is this 
interesting verse right here before verse 27 where Jesus prays to God, thanking Him for revealing these things. I'm assuming the Gospel to little children as opposed to the wise. And we'll get into that same sort of rhetoric in our own passage in verse 27. As we get to verses 27 through 30, though, there are five things we'll face when we face God. Five points here that this message, through this message, authority, knowledge, invitation, rest, and work. And the first is authority. We need to lean into Jesus because He is our authority, our final authority. Verse 27 opens up saying, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. That's pretty authoritative right there. Jesus has been judging repentant, or excuse me, unrepentant cities. And then he has this little addition here and he says, in essence, he has the authority not only to render judgment, but to execute it when he wills. America is great. Even now, it's still great. Liberty, freedoms, freedoms that not everyone across the world enjoys. But sometimes, liberty, freedom-loving people balk at authority. You know, when I was in high school and college, I had deadlines for assignments. And as I got along in college, the papers I had to write were more and more interesting to me because they went in line with what my degree was going to be in. And with a deadline every Sunday now, I'm always trying to crank out sermons. But there are other things, books that I would like to write, ideas I have in terms of writing, or even projects I'd like to pursue that I just never make ground on because I'm not having an authority to turn it into. The illustration is is when nobody's watching or hold us, holding us accountable, we have a tendency to grow comfortable doing our own thing. You know, Jesus is approached and asked if it was lawful to pay taxes. And Jesus says, renders to Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then what does he say? Render to God what's God's. Well, what is God's? You are. I am. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus owns us. He is supposed to be an authority over us. In fact, Jesus owns us twice over. Paul says to the Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God made us. We wandered into the enemy's grip. He became flesh and bought us. Glorify God in our bodies. We need to move from stressing to facing. And when we face God, we find that He is in authority. Not only authority over us, but all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. That's a pretty inclusive sentence where everything, not one thing, can be missed. God owns it all. 
So I'll just speak for myself that I'm mimicking the idiocy of my parents in the garden thinking that I can behind, hide behind rocks from the God who is an authority over all things. He owns the very rocks that I like to hide behind. But did you know that God's authority over the world extends so far even to if he wants to reveal himself to me or not? We we enter this very interesting rhetoric again as we finish out in verse 27. Again, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. That's the authority part, but here's the knowledge. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now let's think about this from a biblical, historical point of view. There have been thousands of years leading up to the time of Jesus. Thousands of years recorded in your Bibles in the Old Testament where where Yahweh revealed Himself to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. So did these people not know the Father? And the point of Jesus' claims is, not like I do. (laughs) Nobody knows the Father except the Son. For Jews, or even us to be offended or question Jesus at His words, would be like if a citizen of Stites came to me, I'm picking on you, Joe, (laughs) came to me and said, I know your dad. He was the postmaster at Stites for a couple of years. And if I said, you don't know him, but I know him, I would be right. (laughs) From day one of my life, I lived in the same house and saw him and talked to him and did life with him every day. And in comparison, the average Stites citizen who knew my dad a couple of years, I could claim knowledge to the point of them being unknowledgeable. (laughs) Earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus constantly says things like, you've heard it been said, or it was written. But then Jesus gives an authoritative teaching on whatever had been said or written. It's because Jesus knows the Father. And the Father knows Him. That was the first part of the statement. Jesus is known by God. God shows up to Jesus' parents supernaturally to announce His birth, His incarnation, literally in the fleshness of you will of God. God shows up when Jesus begins His ministry and is getting baptized. God says, this is My Son whom I love. God shows up on a mountain. And apparently Moses and Elijah were in the same car as they head to earth because they're all there. With Jesus, but God singles out His Son. This is My Son. Listen to Him. The point being, nobody knows God or Yahweh like Jesus does. And nobody knows Jesus like Yahweh does. And the point is supposed to tell us this. Do we want to know what God wants? Do we want to know what God thinks? What God says? Then we must come to know Jesus then. And do we want to know who Jesus is? Well, God knows Him best. That is, Jesus is God's reflection on earth. Well, what about this last part? No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Only whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father to, only those people know God. 
This is where a lot of strange theologies are used to explain this. I'm not convinced of most of the ones I hear. For the people who say, yes, there is a secret knowledge of the Father, and not every Christian has that knowledge, but conveniently, Jesus has revealed it to me. Well, thank goodness you're the special one that He's revealed it to. There are theologians that say Jesus is really speaking in the language of predestination here, that God has elected or He has chosen some to reveal His Son here. Other theologies say that Jesus is really speaking in the language of exclusivity here and that only the truly righteous, the truly obedient and the truly smart or the ones who truly stay on track biblically and believe all the right things and then arrogantly proponents of these theologies just happen to be those sorts of people. I just keep reading. (laughs) Verse 28, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. To whom does the Son wish to reveal the Father? All who labor and are heavy laden. That's not exclusive. That's not an invitation to a select few. That's an invitation to any who are ever willing to admit that this world's well has run dry. That the life that I try to take control of is really out of my control and the burdens that I carry really do get heavy. And so you need to take all of these first three items into consideration about their relationship to one another. First, we serve a Jesus who has authority, the very authority of God, who holds the world in his hands, who has life and death in his hands, who created the cosmos and could stuff the sun in his pocket. He could play marbles with the planets. And we see Jesus is the knowledge of the Son to the Father and the Father to the Son. The one who knows God fully and intimately and the one who walked this earth but was God in the flesh. And we have every reason to respond as many have responded throughout history, following, falling on our faces, not being able to see Him and live, not being able to walk before Him and be blameless, not even having the right to untie His sandals. But when an authoritative God with infinite knowledge wants to commune with us, he gives an invitation. He gives an invitation. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden. Are you in a season of sabbaticalitis? (laughs) This is God's invitation. I wonder if you're worked out or if you're burdened with many burdens. Is there tremendous weight on your shoulders? I wonder if any of you are done with COVID. (laughs) If any of you are are tired or at your wits end or is stressed just too light of a vocabulary word to describe it. So you come up with one like sabbaticalitis. (laughs) This is your invitation. The authoritative, all-knowing creator of the universe invites you today. He is an inviter, not a smiter. (laughs) He's into caring and not scaring. And his invitation is this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is no doubt an invitation in the book of Matthew from the lips of Jesus, a call to discipleship. 
Now, the Bible and even Jesus has many words used, it seems, to describe what a relationship with him is. And it's no wonder I consider Christy my best friend, my lover, my wife, the mother of my children. And just how I can use many terms to describe her. So Jesus used many terms to describe his his relationship with his disciples. Rest. There are a lot of people looking for a lot of causes in the world, but none of those causes offers rest. Christie's been reading a book about fascist Italy and Nazi Germany, I think a little bit of both, just World War II. And in the subject of world domination and power grabbing and political office rising, Christie has said to me, why would anyone do that? <laughs> that just sounds like a headache <laughs> to have all that power and control. What is the appeal? And I think there's some truth in that, that there are a lot of causes out there that ultimately appear to be grabbing power. I want to influence this. I want to change that. I want to make a mark and I want to make some advances for this cause. Christian, there is an unstoppable force that's already doing that. His name is Jesus. And so let Jesus make his mark and you can rest in what he's doing Instead of strive for what someone or something or some other people are doing. I wonder if you're laboring for a different kingdom. I wonder if you're heavy laden with the concerns of a different kingdom. You don't have to be. Did you know that nobody's birthday is going to be lost if the tribe that you're a part of doesn't have its way? <laughs> nobody's birthday is going to be lost if your team doesn't win. You can rest in the one who has won in the person and the work of Jesus. You can rest in the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead. As Frank was reading for us, the, the author of Hebrews in chapter 4 compares uh, the rest we can experience to the promised land that God delivered the Israelites to from Egypt. And as you think about that, that symbolism, do you hear then how the idea of rest can be both rest in the sense of ceasing from activity or rest in the spiritual sense while we work? It, it took work to build the promised land. We hear in verses 29 and 30 that that Jesus invitation to rest is one to rest in the work that he's doing for the world. We hear take my yoke upon you upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The altar call, the call to Discipleship has been preached, I feel like, up to verse 28 before and then cherry picked and twisted so far as verses in 29 and 30 might go. Because what sounds good on our ears is rest for souls and burden lightning, but that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. Yes and no. Our souls do rest, but our and our burdens are lifted. But this doesn't mean we cease from activity and we never need to go to work. As I said, the Bible and, and Jesus have 
very many ways of describing his wanted relationship with us. And they are all, of course, valid. And perhaps a striking contrast to this invitation that Jesus makes is in Luke 14, where he tells a parable. And he says, getting on board my mission is like going to war and counting the cost. Do you have what it takes to get on board with me? What about when Jesus says nobody who loves their parents or family more than me can come with me? So there's this seeming paradox that it is costly to enter a relationship that's so restful. It's sacrificial to accept someone who has sacrificed himself for you to be restored to our original purpose in the world. That is to be in communion with God. When we enter the rest of Christ, he gives us a yoke. He gives us a purpose. He has some fields that he would like for us to work. And in some ways, it may appear to us to be a hard yoke or a burdensome one. It is really restful, though. Jesus says this in Matthew 19, eight chapters later. There is a man who comes to Jesus and he just couldn't hack it. He showed up to Jesus with the how am I in question, right? How do I receive eternal life? How do I find this rest? You're saying, come to me, all who are weary and, and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. What does that look like practically? And Jesus deals out the high bar, the costly bar I'm talking about. It seems you can look at Matthew 19 and, and draw your own conclusion. But it seems to me that Jesus is just building out this man's idol. Because we all have our idols. We all have those parts of Jesus instruction where it seems easy to keep, but then other parts where, well, let's not talk about that, Jesus. But Jesus is that guy. He wants to talk about it. And he says to this man, how about you sell all you have and then come follow me? And the guy walks away. He can't do that. He's secure, comfortable in his possessions. Again, I don't think the point of that passage is a prescription for every Christian to sell all their possessions. But I think it is a prescription for us to ask, what am I keeping back from God? But Jesus says about this high bar, the costly discipleship and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You know what that means? It's worth it. It's worth it. For the person who's really invested in Jesus, it's worth it. Now, there are those stories of used to be Christians who left the faith. What about them? Was it worth it for them? I think there are people who come to church and are hurt by the church and they never manage to meet Jesus in the process. But I want to talk about people who have a face to face encounter with the authoritative, all knowing father who invites people into his rest and his costly work. It's worth it. Sabbatical litis, I wonder if you're beginning to appreciate more and more the idea from the Bible that this world is not my home. In fact, that's kind of the idea I have for a brief two week series when I return from my sabbatical, if I'm not doing what I'm doing now and preaching on other things. But I wonder if maybe if you have whatever you want to call it, 
sabbaticalitis, burnout stress. I wonder if you just have this disillusionment or this disorienting of, is this really happening? Coupled with negative emotions around COVID or who's getting sick and who's dying and what junk am I dealing with? And I wonder if if this is just a moment where the authoritative, all-knowing Father needs to come to your life, your heart again, and remind you of the invitation that you've already accepted to rest in him and work for him. I wonder if you need to hear that again today. If God says, you said yes, you're my son already, you're my daughter already, you're already in the house, but I find you sulking in the corner behind a newspaper a lot, right? This is your dad, and I'm inviting you again to rest in me, to work for me. What you read in the newspaper is a bunch of other teams vying for crumbling kingdoms, but my kingdom and my purposes and my will will stand I've won already, and I intend to win ultimately. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you do invite us to rest. That many of us may be lazy people who never leave our houses and we've never met you. And for some odd reason, we still find ourselves restless. Perhaps many of us are active people and we're out and about staying busy, trying to do what we can to put together a crumbling world around us. And we're restless. But you invite us into a rest that the world can offer. Whenever you before you face the cross, you said to your disciples, my peace, I leave with you, not as the world gives. Father. Only you are the source of supernatural peace and supernatural rest. So we pray that we would receive your invitation. Uh, For those of us who have never accepted you, we pray to receive that invitation today to become part of your kingdom, to enter into a relationship with you, to know that our sins that we have committed against you offend you, and also to know that you've sent your son, though, to pay the price for that sin, that you were brutally crucified, that you experienced the pain and the death that we deserve for us. Thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus, and thank you for sending Jesus in our stead. And, Father, for those of us who are part of your kingdom, we we pray that we would receive that rest again. Maybe we got lost, maybe we don't know where we wandered, but we found ourselves living restless and not trusting you. We pray that we would receive that rest today. Thank you that you don't just forgive us of sins and leave us on our own, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to awaken our hearts and minds to, to be mindful of the things you tell us, and most of all, to be obedient to the things you tell us. Um, we pray that you don't just give us directives or guidance for our lives that we all consider it's a good thought, but rather that we would yield, obey, and submit because we find that you give us directives that helps us thrive. We thank you for that. We ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.